I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and James McDonald. Tonight on Fast, back in the saddle. Markets roaring back after yesterday's sell-off. The S&P posting its biggest gain since early November. So have old-school traders taken back control of the markets, and where do stocks go from here? We'll get some answers. Plus, trader triple play on three stocks on the move in a big way today. But can they keep up their gains? What the traders say about these stocks? And in a special bonus hour fast, we're diving deep into the Reddit rebellion from the cultural phenomenon that's taken hold of Wall Street to grabbing the attention of Capitol Hill. We will break down the sea change that we are witnessing right now in the markets. But we start off with a Robin Hood revolt, the trading app sparking outrage from investors and lawmakers after restricting trading in recently high-flying stocks like GameStop and AMC. And within the past hour, it has announced that it is getting ready to open the doors back up. Kate Rooney's got all the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa, a lot of back and forth with Robinhood today. As you said, in the last hour, Robinhood saying that they will allow some limited buying of those securities that they banned starting tomorrow. In a statement, a Robinhood spokesperson telling me that they will continue to monitor the situation. They might make adjustments as needed, but they say, to be clear, this was a risk management decision and was not made on the direction of market makers they route to. That, of course, in response to some confusion over payments for order flow and arrangements they have with uh, companies like Citadel Securities. They also say that they are beginning to open up trading for some of these securities in a responsible manner. To take you back to just this morning, Robinhood had banned eight highly shorted securities based on recent volatility. This included GameStop, of course, American Airlines, AMC, and some others. Later in the afternoon, Robinhood told some of its users that they may close some, quote, at-risk positions that would have to do with margin calls. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. And Robinhood was not the only brokerage firm to do this. We had interactive brokers really do the same thing. TD Ameritrade and Schwab raised their margin requirements for some of those stocks as well. And they all got heat on social media. But from what we saw, Robinhood really is getting the brunt of it. Everyone from rapper Ja Rule to Barstool's Dave Portnoy chiming in with criticism. And we had lawmakers from both sides of the aisle piling on. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called Robin Hood's move this morning, quote, unacceptable. Senator Ted Cruz then, of course, also piled on. He's on the other political side of the spectrum, but said, quote, let the people trade um, alongside a statement announcing some of those restrictions. Uh, Senator Cruz also retweeted and reposted Ocasio-Cortez's tweet on his own page saying, quote, fully agree. So the headlines keep coming on this story, but a lot of changes today here for Robin Hood. Melissa, back to you. Who would have thought that GameStop would be the united, uniting factors across the uh, political spectrum? Kate, thank you. Uh, Kate Rooney. Um, so we asked the question tonight, is it Robin Hood's job, is it E-Trade's job, Ameritrade's job, to protect individual investors here? I mean, for Robin Hood, the irony is rich, Guy. This is a platform that was created to democratize trading. And here they are. When the, and this is the perception of the, the Reddit army. The minute they're making money, they get shut down. Mm-hmm. You can understand that. Listen, when we started this show 15 years ago, we did it to, to empower people. We were, we've never been condescending. We never talked down to people. We never try to prove how smart we are. We try to empower people to help them navigate markets. And I think to a large extent, Robinhood was trying to do the same thing, democratize markets. But when you say to people, we're protecting you from yourself, there's something so condescending about that. It, 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 it just it makes you really it makes you mad. And you can understand why people are infuriated. And it makes you wonder out loud, 
why Robin Hood would do, and, and, and others as well, why would they do something like this knowing the ramifications? This story is in the early innings, and you just wonder really at the end of the day, you know, they're puppets and puppeteers. You just wonder who the cast is right now. So I think it's too little too late. Just my point of view, that's my opinion. Again, with these situation being extraordinarily fluid. I mean, talk about biting off more than you can chew. We saw Melvin Capital their position brought that hedge fund to its knees and it had to get bailed out. And here uh, these platforms are saying we need to protect you, the individual investor, from yourself. Dan, what do you think of all this? Because the position of the platforms, to be fair, is that it's risk management on their part. They could be on the hook um, for a lot of losses. Well, Mel, I think you make a good point. I mean, these platforms have a fiduciary responsibility in the, to, to their investors. In the case of Robinhood, they have um, lots and lots of investors who invest in this company in the private market. They obviously don't want to see um, their clients get hurt. I mean, it's not a great business if you're in the business of asset gathering, which is essentially what they are in, um, to see your, your client's assets go to zero because ultimately you lose clients that way. They have a massive PR problem right now because, you know, if we know that, let's say they signed up 5 million new accounts or something like that in 2020, and we know that a lot of them are going to be very annoyed with what happened right here, um, they're not likely to stick around on this platform. So there's a lot of things going on right now. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you know, this has become a very popular, okay, free online trading app on your iPhone. That's that simple. We had the same conversation three years ago about Coinbase. It was nothing different. And I'm not telling you there's not some geniuses on Reddit, uh, Wall Street Bets, and trading on Robinhood and making a lot of smart decisions uh, about investing. But this is not about planning for your future. This is not about some sort of overthrow of the Wall Street system or anything like that. This is just greed. That's all it is. And so I'm not demeaning anybody who's made money doing it this way, but let's call it what it is. All right. Well, the platforms, as you as you mentioned, Dan, are facing a huge PR issue at this point. James, how do you think they untangle themselves? Because not only are they facing backlash from their customers, but they're also getting the heat from regulators. That is not an enviable position to be in. Right. I think ultimately you have uh, some knots being tied and they're going to get too tight and ultimately have to be cut uh, from regulatory perspective. You know, we've seen a phenomena of let's call it retail investors flocking into a new trading mechanism. We saw this during the dot-com run-up, um, and it resulted in the institution of practices that were restricted on day trade rules. And those day trade rules were created by the regulators, and then the execution of those day trade rules was held by the brokers. And I think this situation will be similar when they get behind what's happening with the communication about the stocks. Uh, if the communication is legal and rightful, uh, that will be allowed, but there's going to be limits on to what extent instructions or recommendations can be made those rules will be applied and then the brokers will follow i think the situation will work itself out from the pr standpoint in the short term they've just got to write out the story and ultimately the regulators will protect investors yeah tim tim what do you think of this whole situation the the platforms change the rules of the game in the i don't know what inning of this game well, we've seen this at, at different times over the course of the online brokerage community and even some of these these platforms that are there really for the retail, uh, the retail audience and to democratize, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I know Betterment we had on our show a few years back when during a crazy vol day, uh, they actually stopped trading. And the argument at first was to protect people from themselves. 
People do not want to be protected from themselves. Uh, and, and again, if this was a risk management issue at, at Robinhood, um, how, how did their systems or how did they get that offsides in the first place that they then, you know, were they lending stock that they, they couldn't then source and were they caught in the middle of these trades? I mean, that to me is, is, mm-hmm. is a different question. So uh, I think, and, and, you know, over-regulating markets at this point really scares me. Um, and again, talking about the integrity of markets and we need to regulate them, um, of course, first of all, and, and of course there need to be rules and of course no one should be manipulating the market, uh, but saving people from themselves and, and bringing in more regulation against people who actually feel like the, the, the system is rigged against them is, is part of the foment here. And we all know uh, in some ways how this is transcendent, not just to what's going on on Wall Street, but this has been an issue um, with, with populism. This has been an issue, I mean, this this. Who is the arbiter um, of truth? Remember that issue from social media? Who is the arbiter of what you should and should not, what risk you should not take with your money on the Internet? And, and I think that's why this is such a powerful issue and why people are very upset. Yeah, and Dan, you were making that, that point on our call midday today that it's corporate America, it's these big tech companies, tech-focused companies that are making that decision as to which groups have their voice heard, and that voice may be through a tweet or through a Facebook post or through a trade, and which ones cannot. Yeah, it feels like a very similar conversation that we were having much of 2020 about these large tech platforms, the power that they wield. Um, You know, obviously, this is just another example that regulation is coming to these digital worlds right now. And, you know, you know, it's one thing to say that this Wall Street bets Reddit thing is a digital mob and a a bunch of the everyday people. I would take it another step forward. I think it's, again, a bunch of the big players manipulating the mood of the crowd because there's no way that this thing could have happened that we've seen over the course of the week if there weren't big players kind of um, you know kind of just you know instigating a much yeah. of this activity and driving it higher you know so to me I think there's a lot of um, you know fingers to be pointed it sounds like um, you know the Senate it sounds like Congress it sounds like there's a lot of people who have their knives out and I don't think anybody really wins at the end of the day maybe other than a bunch of um, SEC and ex-SEC lawyers. There are still a lot of questions about who is, is there are, I'm sure, plenty of individuals who are behind every single handle on Wall Street bets. But as you had mentioned, there could also be big players masquerading as such, taking advantage. There could be bots that were bought by these big hedge funds. Regardless, Guy, if the retail traders in there, if the Reddit army is in there and they made money and they're seeing today that they can't uh, they can't I- initiate a new position or their trading is restricted while all of the other guys on Wall Street are free to do so. That seems to stoke the anger even more. It should. It absolutely should. And again, not knowing all the details as to why some of these platforms are restricted or stopped. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but just on the surface, it has to be infuriating because if you're sitting at home saying, I finally did it on my own. I'm empowered. I beat the system at least for a day or week, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, midstream, they change the rules of the game. Same way they changed the rules when the Hunt brothers uh, had their position in the silver market. It's the same thing. It has to be absolutely infuriating. So I can absolutely understand the ire and the angst and the vitriol that's coming the way of, of you know, basically the... the Wall Street and everything it represents. I totally get it. I think some of it is, is, is fine. I think some of it is probably misplaced. 
but I understand where it's coming from 100%. All right. Well, is the tremendous retail trader engagement that we are seeing right now, is it sustainable? What does this mean for all these platforms? Our next guest says we may never go back to pre-2020 levels. Piper Sandler's Rich Repetto joins us now to give us a read on what this means, not only for retail investors, but for the exchanges they trade on. Rich, it's always great to get your thoughts. Um, when you say that the volumes are, are here to say, is it it's because we live in a zero commission world? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you've seen trading just you know, uh, multiples of what it was, you know, prior to when you had paid commissions. So the zero commissions, the state, you know, work from home environment, you know, as well as, you know, we've had a performing market uh, as well. I do want to take a moment. I've been listening to the show and I do want to say a couple of things about the e-brokers, which I, you know, have followed for a number of years. If they, if they can do another trade for a customer, they will absolutely do it. So uh, I, I think one of the, the discussion points w- was, are these retail brokers trying to save, you know, save the customers from themselves? I don't think that's it whatsoever. If they can do another trade, they're going to get paid for another trade in payment for order flow. They want to see more trading. Uh, I've talked to both Robinhood uh, interactive brokers. You know, it's, it is the risk management side. Uh, it is coming from literally from other places as well, from the clearinghouses. But you can see when you put enough stress on the system that, you know, you can have some not so good things happen like we did with, you know, Lehman Brothers. Mm-hmm. So when Thomas Pettifee looks at the system and he was on your network today and he talked about the integrity of the clearing system, he's concerned that, you know, there's gonna, these movements have been, you know, dramatic. I think everybody on the show will you know, acknowledge that. So they, when you have dramatic movements like that, they definitely stress the, the, the capital, the deposit requirements. That's what's being passed on, you know, to the brokers. And just like uh, Dan said, you know, the brokers do have a, a fiduciary requirement or, you know, to, to their investors. It's their capital. And it's this capital that's under, you know, dramatic, you know, stress. When you see movements like this, and, you know, no one would have predicted that some of these stocks can move the way they have. And you'd have such a mass movement. You know, we traded 24 billion shares yesterday in the market. We normally trade uh, this year. We trade trade about 14 to in 2019. We only traded seven billion shares. Mm-hmm. So that's what these brokers have taken on literally multiples of the volumes, you know, that we did. You know, a couple of years ago. So, Rich, can you just sort of simplify uh, this for, you know, people like me? <laughs> the <laughs> options expiration on Friday. I mean, what role does that all have in the decision today to restrict trading? It's the capital requirements, mm-hmm. at least with one of the brokers that I talked to about, that the clearinghouses now are requiring so much capital, you know, uh, for these positions as they take, you know, it's a two two-day settlement, so much capital that it's straining, uh, it's straining the amount of capital that, that they have overall, you know, as a firm, that it is, it's putting at risk. And you saw, you know, if a, a brokerage firm doesn't have capital, we, we've seen what can happen and the, what do you call it, the follow-on effects of it, you know, the loss of confidence and who, who will lend you money and who won't. Uh, and you've seen two, at least, they're all restricting the trading now, is what I'm told. But certainly, a very knowledgeable, 
you know, guy of the clearing system, Thomas Pettifee, get on the network today and said, hey, this is challenging the system. He He's overcapitalized, so he's not worried about his capital, but he's worried about the integrity of, the, you know, the entire system mm-hmm. when you put that much stress on it. Rich, uh-huh. in a zero commission world, uh, uh, hi, Rich, in a zero commission world, these, the, these folks are not making money, obviously, on trading commissions, so they're making money somehow. So I guess my question is, maybe they're answering to somebody else, and maybe that's where we should be focused on really, you know, why things played out the way they did today. I know that puts you on the spot a bit, but that to me is the crux of this entire thing. No, I agree with that. To, to I agree. Uh, first, they make their money on payment for order flow. So they are still getting paid, not what they used to get paid for the trades, but they are getting payment for order flow. So there's a total incentive for them to do the extra extra trade, especially in these stocks that are trading, you know, enormously uh, right now. Where I think, you know, as we look into this and re-examine, this will be re-examined because there is a lot of pressure, uh, as you talked about, the you know, the marketing impacts and the brand impacts this is having, but people will, it'll be investigated. And at least what I'm being told is that the capital requirements that are being passed on from the clearinghouses are limiting what they can do. And, you know, it's making things risky enough where they can't, they don't want to take on more trades because it risks their capital. And then once you get into a you understand, I think mm-hmm. we all understand, you get into a situation where your capital uh, is the confidence in the, in, in the capital, right. uh, it can be a spiraling effect. All right. Rich, thank you so much for your time. Rich Rapato, a Piper Sandler. Um, Dan, Nathan, you nailed it in terms of the, the clearinghouse angle and the risks to the system here. The perception, though, is the perception, and perception may it may not be reality in this case, or it may be reality. We don't, we're not 100% sure, but the perception is that yeah. they shut us down, <laughs> and that's not, that's, that's not easy. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, listen, any customer has the right to be upset about the service that's provided to them, and especially when it comes to your money. I mean, I, I think that's a, a major point. I think some of the changes that are going to come, I think before we even see further regulation, and no one knows what it's right. I agree with what Tim said before, you know, who are the arbiters of this sort of thing, but these companies have these fiduciary responsibilities. It'd be a lot worse if Robinhood went under. Do you guys remember the palpitations in the market when MF Global went under and all the the counterparty risk all over the street, all over the world for that matter. It's big stuff, okay? So no one wants that to happen. And you know, we use this expression every once in a while, and I don't think it's used properly, that whole black swan event. Well, wouldn't it be perfect at the height of all time, um, you know, with the markets, with interest rates at all time lows, with deficits where they are, with everything in the the general euphoria about risk assets that a black swan came along Right. And just blew up the whole thing. You know, yeah. I mean, people were calling the global financial crisis for years. But this is the sort of thing that you want to tamp down pretty quickly. Yeah. I suspect. James, what do you do if you're a shareholder of um, American Airlines? American Airlines is not a GameStop. It's not a Build-A-Bear or Cost Corporation. I mean, it's American Airlines. And that was put on the restricted list as well today. This is sort of a rolling, heavily shorted stock list, it seems. Yeah, they're going to look for, they being um, traders, they're going to look for opportunity wherever there's a trade. And, you know, 
nowhere safe if there's an equity that can be influenced and traders want to take advantage of it. Um, it's just human nature of greed, and that's what's going to happen. And I think ultimately, as I said earlier, uh, regulators are watching. They're studying this very closely in this ecosystem of free enterprise. Uh, we have protection. We have protection from independent uh, uh, government officials who are watching. They're very smart. It's a very, 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 very uh, quickly changing situation. It's complicated. There are rights on both sides of the investors who are seeking profits and then those investors who may hold the positions and get hurt. Ultimately, they'll come down with the right decision. It's just timing-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see this thing come to end pretty soon, and we'll be talking about something else. All right, we got some breaking news on Robinhood. Leslie Pickers got the story, Les. Hey, Melissa, as we know, Robinhood has been facing some customer revolt uh, today amid its decision to limit trading in certain securities. Well, uh, we've now learned that Robinhood is drawing on some credit lines uh, with some banks in order to shore up its balance sheet. Uh, this is according to a person with knowledge of the situation. Uh, its lenders include J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. We've reached out to Robinhood for comment, and we'll let you know when we hear back. Uh, we don't know any more about the financial situation with regard to Robinhood. Uh, we just know that they have pursued credit lines uh, in order to uh, respond to some of the recent activity. Melissa. Okay. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Coming up, does the Reddit rebellion have your head spinning? Well, the Fear Index is going on a wild roller coaster as well. Uh, we'll dive into the options pits for a portfolio protection trade ahead. But first, we are monitoring all the after hours action in Visa and U.S. Steel, both stocks out with earnings. Conference calls are underway right now. We'll bring you the headlines next. Much more fast money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another big night of earnings for you. We, uh, Visa and U.S. Steel both on the move after reporting results. SEMA Modi's all over Letter X and Letter V's numbers. The so SEMA, take it away. Melissa, let's start with Letter V for Visa. Fewer people traveling has resulted in a decline in cross-border spending. Volumes falling 21% in the first quarter. However, the credit card company did see, quote, resilient domestic spending in most countries and strong debit card and online shopping trends. That helped the company's profit come in higher than expected. It also launched an eight billion dollar buyback program. We're looking at shares higher in after hours trade and trading about 16 percent off its 52 week high. Worth noting, key bank analyst uh, Josh Beck did downgrade shares of Visa and MasterCard yesterday to sector from sector weight to overweight. Uh, sorry, from overweight to sector weight, writing that there could be more challenges ahead for the payment giants as they navigate the pandemic. Let's turn to ticker X. U.S. Steel shares slightly higher in after-hours trade, a narrower-than-expected loss for the quarter. But CEO David Burrett striking a rather optimistic tone about the rest of the year, saying we are bullish that the market will continue to be fueled by robust demand, low inventories, and supportive raw material prices. Now, shares of U.S. Steel have had a strong month so far, partly on hopes that President Biden will deliver uh, an infrastructure bill, plus a big upgrade from Deutsche Bank a couple days ago from sell to buy. Melissa? Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. Um, Tim Seymour, your pick. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm happy with these numbers. I'm happy with their balance sheet. I'm happy that they closed out a transaction for uh, River Steel in December. I'm, I'm happy that this was a short interest stock of 25 percent uh, a few months back. It's down to 15 percent. But I think it's going higher. Hot rolled coil prices are at 12 year highs. 
So lower volumes have certainly been part of the, the, the top line miss, but at, at more profitability, again, for a company that was highly, highly leveraged to steal prices. Uh, so with prices where they are, uh, I, I think the street is trailing this name. I think they're very far behind uh, in terms of where they are. And I, I've been long for you know, five months and I stay long. Yeah. Guy, you feel the same way? Stay long? Yeah, I do. I, it, yeah, I think Tim is right. I mean, obviously, it's pulled back. I think 24 traded to a few weeks ago, probably traded down to 17 and a half, 18. But you look at the quarter, I don't think it's necessarily about earnings. I think Tim would agree with that. It's about the story. And the story is demand is up, and it seems to be continuing to increase. Prices are higher. And, oh, by the way, U.S. Steel was forced to become a much better operator in an environment where their stock basically went from 45 to 9 over the course of three years, and they had to take a hard look at themselves, and maybe that's the best thing that ever happened because they're operating better now. Uh, I think if you believe, as I do, that the U.S. dollar is going to continue to get torched this year, I think this resource stocks work, and I think U.S. Steel is one of them that will. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Market bull Tony Dwyer wants no part of this Wall Street speculative craze. He's waiting for the next major pullback to put money to work, where he plans to invest next. Plus, Uber shares driving higher today. Should you hop into this trade? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The major indices bouncing back from yesterday's sell-off. The Dow closing higher for the first time in six sessions. But volatility remains, particularly in the highly speculative trades, including GameStop, AMC, American Airlines. Our next guest wants no part of the craze. He's waiting for the next major market pullback to add money into stocks. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, good to see you. Great to see you, Mel. Um, you said that uh, in the notes that I have that, that we're seeing the dy- dynamic play out in terms of the short-term impact on the, on the market of this um, Reddit army, but that the long-term um, market fundamentals are intact. Does that mean that you believe this goes away? So, the, Mel, I was thinking about this in the context of, have we ever had a 60% rally off of a major bear market, uh, economically-based March low? And did you start that next year after that 60% rally off that March low up 3%? And then you had some kind of flash crash, some kind of market structure fear come into play. And of course, that was 2010. And as you know, from some of the written stuff we've talked about, we were tracking um, from the summertime of last year, we were tracking what took place in the fall of 2009. You stair-stepped higher into new highs. You opened up 2010 with a 3% gain and just out of nowhere, out of euphoria and you know a lot of excitement, you just had a series of corrections. You had an eight percenter in the first couple, couple of weeks of February, and then a fifteen percenter with the flash crash. Speaking to Dan's point about how um, the MF Global created ripples in the market, the flash crash created ripples in the market. It was the beginning of a correction. So I, I am so excited about the intermediate to long-term prospects of excess liquidity, truly historic excess liquidity, mm-hmm. coupled with a synchronized global recovery. But we need a little bit of the, the um, air to come out of the out of the balloon here. I, I see what you're saying, Tony. Totally, but um, I, I do want to get your thoughts about what is happening with with the market dynamics when it comes to this group of investors who have exerted themselves and 
forced hedge funds to change the way they trade, at least temporarily. Do you think it's a temporary blip? And do you think that there are longer term implications to the markets? Um, Brian Sullivan had a great interview with Chris Murphy from Susquehanna yesterday who talked about the open interest in options. And, And this is my personal opinion. You know me long enough. We're a team. I'm a data guy. I go by data, but here's the first non-data comment I'll have in a while. I think the idea that very small option traders are making all of this happen is like believing that, you know, somebody in a, in a Viking helmet organized the Capitol riot. I think that there is real money behind both sides of this trade. And, and of course, it is affecting on both sides the small investor. But when everybody else is in chaos, I think the strength that I have is to sit back, have a little bit of perspective, and ultimately determine what really drives the market and the economy. And that's availability of money. And we have a historic level of availability of money. The time to get worried, as you know, because remember, Mel, the doomsday, Dwyer doomsday clock from last fall, August 26th, when the yield curve inverted? Well, it's, it's the opposite now. You're coming out of the recession. You have an extraordinary amount of, of stimulus from fiscal, monetary, and interest expense savings. And so, sorry, Tim was going to jump in, but I think he's frozen, Tony. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and jump in. So, okay. I mean, I don't want to force words into your mouth, but it almost sounds like Jerome Powell is at the heart of what is going on in the markets today, including what is going on with GameStop. A hundred, Mel, it's, it's extraordinary. The guy keeps looking into the camera. How many times have you and I been on set? I wish we were on set again. How many times has Jerome Powell looked into the camera, giving you the game plan, and geniuses like me trying to figure out if it's right or wrong? The guy told you what he's doing. He's whole, we're at 1.4% core PCE. The vice chair of the Fed, Clarita, said they wanted above 2% for a year. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but 1.4% is below 2%. Now, you got to get to 2% before you, you're there for a year. You've got an extraordinary amount. See, what people miss, Mel, is the, the stimulative effect of interest rate reduction. We talk about inflation. We talk about price power and, and you know, all this money is going to print inflate. Yes, but interest expenses collapsed for the government, for corporations, and for households. Tony, a great, I wish I did see you. I can't see you because I don't have a return, as they say, in the business. But my question is exactly that. The Fed wants inflation above 2% for a year, but embedded in that is the fact that they somehow think they can control it. Let's just play the what-if game, and I'm a big believer that, you're going to get inflation in spades in the back half of this year. What if instead of around 2% for a year, it goes from 1.4 to, let's say, three and a quarter, three and a half in the course of six months? Then they're totally behind the eight ball, and that's not something the market is expecting. Well, Guy, I think that, that will, of course, create some indigestion if that happens. But honestly, I, I think inflation is going to pick up pretty dramatically. You're going to be, remember, inflation is a year over year number. So you're going to bring in the March, April, and May of 2020 numbers. So you're going to have inflation from those price drops back then. But then after the summertime, you're going to be anniversarying the big jump up in inflation that came with the stimulus June, July, and August. So again, I, I think settle back, you know, treat it, and look at the, does it shut down money? The guy printing it keeps telling you he's not shutting it down. 
pricing power for companies is a good thing. Right. That's why earnings surprise to the upside, I think. Tony, thanks so much. Good to see you. Tony Thank Dwyer, you, Canaccord Genuity. His playbook includes a lot of the reopening trades, small cap cyclicals, emerging markets. James, what do you think of that playbook? I think it's a great playbook once we settle on um, what this sentiment is going to do in the short term. I agree with everything Tony said. And, you know, the problem right here is that we keep going uh, uh, higher in different pockets. You know, the market somewhat cooled off uh, here earlier this week, but we've seen a resurgence of energy around these names at the Reddit situation. You know, the January daily options is four times as normal. That's not sustainable. And so I think we will go back to some type of bullish market in pockets. Obviously, e-commerce is going to do well. Obviously, 5G is going to do well. Clean energy is going to do well. Back to U.S. Steel's outlook, we're looking at, you know, infrastructure play perhaps to buttress the economy going forward. Um, so there's always going to be pockets of strength. And I do agree with what Tony's pointing out in terms of, you know, there's got to be a pullback here, uh, at least in the short term, temporarily before we continue uh, to take our optimism forward. All right. Coming up, it is a trader triple play. We're talking and trading the big moves in Comcast, General Motors and Uber next. And later, the fear index on a roller coaster ride this week. How are the options markets pricing in the Reddit rebellion? A protection trade ahead when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Time for the Trader Triple Play. Comcast, GM, Uber, all posting solid gains. We start off with Comcast, the parent company of this network, up nearly 7% for its biggest gain since last March. Better than expected earnings and revenue. And it also added 11 million subscribers to Peacock, the streaming service. Guy, what'd you make of the quarter? Great, It's a great quarter. High-speed internet killed it as well. Um, so this is what I make of the quarter. Traded up to 52.30, I think which basically right in line with the November 24th high, it's had a huge run. The question you have to ask yourself now is, was that the catalyst to take money off the table? I do think this stock can grind higher from here, but I don't think it's going to be a straight line. So if you're trading it, I think you're taking some of your position off. Look for a pullback in the mid to high 40s. Do you extrapolate the success of Peacock so far, Dan, to some of the other streaming services? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's also part of the bear story. I know our friend Tom Rogers would disagree mm. that a lot of these content um, owners pulling it back from Netflix, obviously the office going to Peacock is a huge draw. There's a lot of reasons why people chose Disney Plus. Well, there's actually a handful of reasons. It was called Lucas Films. It was called Marvel. You know, I mean, the, so the, the content's really important. It's going back to the homes of these places and it's going to end up looking like your cable bill before you're just going to have a bunch of floating apps on your TV this time around. All right. Up next, uh, let's check out shares of GM. General Motors up more than 3%. The company saying it plans to offer only electric vehicles by 2035, just the latest step in GM's plans to be carbon neutral by 2040. That is an amazing transformation of its portfolio, James, if they can actually pull this off. Yeah, it's ambitious and it's risky because the gas fuel trucks and uh, uh, SUVs right now are key to its profits. Um, but, you know, GM's got a plan to bring self-driving cars to Japan. Uh, they're going to supply uh, the battery technology for EV. I think GM has a really, really good opportunity to capture some of the lift. We've talked about this stock before being underpriced relative to other potential EV plays. And General Motors has got the smartest folks in the room to attack this. I think they get lift on the battery. I think they get lift on developing EVs for other markets. Uh, and ultimately, I think this stock is way underpriced relative to this entire sector. So I continue to see upside for it. 
90% of sales today at GM and 100% of profits are the fossil fuel burning cars guy. How many times is GM going to add market cap for the same thesis? Well, good for Tim, by the way, and Karen, yeah. who've been talking about this for a while. And I just, listen, we play the math game with them, but, you know, the market, the, the broader market's trading close to 24 times forward earnings. General Motors is trading about seven or eight. I mean, you put a 10, 11 multiple on it, you can do the math. You're talking about anywhere from a 60 to a $72 stock. To answer your question, they finally did it enough where the market listened to them, and they're getting credit for it in a meaningful way. So although I would rather have a 68 Chevelle, uh, super sport, by the way, maybe convertible. Uh, I understand the direction of the rest of the world. So I think you stay with GM here. I wonder how many people know what a Chevelle is. I certainly, it sounds like a, a beverage to me. But um, finally, Uber shares soaring more than 7% after a bullish note from Morgan Stanley. Analysts uh, saying that they expect EBITDA uh, to be positive later this year and that the economic reopening will provide a boost to customer demand. Dan, we go to you on this one. Yeah, um, you know, pretty bullish note. And there was a couple bullish notes out on Uber. Obviously, this is a huge reopening trade. We've continued to push these re reopening trades out further and further. I think this is a stock that will continue to have tailwinds as the vaccine rollout, um, you know, improves over the course of the next few months or so. Listen, there's a lot of moving parts there. You know, I was one this year or a year ago this time. I was saying, ah, they should get rid of Eats. They should get rid of some of these non-core businesses. They did some of that with Autonomous and stuff. But Eats has become a very, very important part of their business during the pandemic. So if people don't care about real earnings and they like the idea of EBITDA break even at some point later in the future, this stock's going to continue to work. They don't re uh, report for a couple weeks or so. So I just be careful how much it runs into the report because you might be disappointed if it's trading at all time highs and the numbers or at least the guidance disappoints a little bit. Yeah. Um, James, this is a stock where you take a look at the future of things. People want to ride in, in these cars and eventually driverless cars. They're positioned theoretically for that in the future. Yeah, there's so much practicality. You know, I flew into New York a couple of days ago. I rented a car. It's been sitting in the garage across the street the whole time I've been here. So much easier, so much more convenient to hail a ride from an Uber. It's on my app. It's prepaid for. The route's there. I know what I'm going to get there. I know when I'm going to get back. The practicality in this space uh, is just so powerful. Plus, it creates an economic engine for employment. In times like these where people are getting laid off, they can go to an Uber. They can go to a different uh, a competitor where they can find employment. I think Uber is a solid, solid play. Obviously, they've got a lot of capital use um, um, constraints in terms of this is not the most profitable business, but I think it is the wave of the future. You know, I'm paying 60 bucks a day for a rental car that's been sitting in the garage the whole time. I've been Ubering it. I think that makes a lot of sense for me uh, to push Get, get an Uber next time, solely. <laughs> Coming up, we've got a very special bonus hour of Fast Money. We're tackling the Reddit rebellion head-on, telling you what it could mean for the markets. That's coming up 6 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Plus, a retail roller coaster while the surge of options activity this week may be pointing to even more volatility ahead. We're breaking down the action. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it the Reddit Rebellion, the short squeeze saga, whatever you want. It may be the retail roller coaster. It is shaking up Wall Street and putting a lot of volatility into the market. So if you're worried about your portfolio, Bono and Eisen has a way to buy some insurance with options. Bono in. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, so if yesterday did not get your blood flowing, I really don't know what will. And it got me to thinking, listen, 
There's a lot of core positions that were tossed out yesterday as these shorts were squeezed. So we're looking at names that are going to be core holdings that you're not really going to want to trade in and out of. With that said, I'm taking a look at Microsoft, right? If you take a look at the Feb to, uh, 240 put, that can be purchased for about $7 or about 3% of spot. So essentially what you're going to be doing is outlaying just today's gain in order to protect your position from spot. Think of it as a zero deductible um, insurance premium. You're protected from spot. If the stock continues to grind higher, you participate. In the event that it sells off, well, you're protected here and you've only forfeited one day's of performance to protect it. I think this is the way that you might want to look at protecting other core holdings that you don't want to trade in and out of and protect against heightened volatility that we've seen over the last couple of days. Yeah. Dan, what do you think of the strategy? I love it. I mean, mm. I think the bottom bringing up a great point. Here's a stock that's one of the biggest in the stock market. It's performed very well. They just put up amazing numbers. It's hanging out here near the all-time highs. If you are worried about the broad market and you want to hold on to a position like this, but you don't want to give back some of those recent gains, about 12%, just in the last few weeks, this is a good way to spend a few percent of the underlying. But again, I think he makes a great point. You want to do this tactically. You do not want to do this too frequently. That would be a huge drag on performance. Yeah. Tim, do do you think that now is the time to buy some protection? Look, 27.19 on the S&P is the 50-day. I don't see why we don't test that. And, and it, James has been talking about volatility. Tony Dwyer talked about volatility. Um, there's been a step function up uh, really over the last you know, call it the last couple of days. But um, I don't think that just runs away from us, even though the, the thesis for the longer move higher, uh, I think a lot of people continue to endorse. So um, I, in protecting yourself uh, today and tomorrow, uh, you know, look, vol's very expensive relative to where it's been. Um, I think we're going to take another shot lower. Um, but I think today is not the place to chase vol. All right. Uh, Bono, and good to see you. Thank you. Bono and Eisen, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Let's go around the horn. James. I love volatility, and I've got a new fund launching tomorrow, NFLHX. That's my pick. All right. Tim Seymour. Mustang 66 convertible over the Chevelle, letter X, $3 billion in, in liquidity, $2 billion in cash on the balance sheet. Stay there. I, I think Chevelle on the rock sounds really refreshing. Uh, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we touched on that Visa number real quickly. That was a good report. I, I know the stock is just kind of unchanged a little bit, down 10% from its recent all-time high. I think you play that back towards 220 when the market settles here a little bit. Uh, Guy. Hi, Mel. Hi, We've learned a lot this last week. It's been, I'd say, a fascinating week for yeah. a lot. I think everybody just needs to sort of take a step back and, and hit the refresh button. With that said, the Chevelle was a great car, but, you know, it got me thinking, and I posted a picture on the Twitter. I'd much rather have, if you can help here, a 67 GTO convertible. That's obviously, Mel, as you know, because we've talked about this, that's pre-Endura bumper. And you know why you don't like the Endura bumper, right, Mel? Or do you need me oh, to yeah, clarify? Yeah, no, I mean, that's obvious. Yeah, well, it is obvious, and thank you for bringing that up. It's obvious because obviously the Endura bumper didn't really hold paint is that well, and it really trade uh, agitated. In this? Blackstone, Blackstone, look at the quarter they reported. Analysts and have to raise their numbers. <laughs> BX still works here. Chevelle, GTO, I don't know about any of this. All right, thanks, guys. That does it for us for this hour of Fast Money, but do not go anywhere. We've got a special bonus edition of Fast dedicated to 
the Reddit rebellion. And that starts right after this break. Money fans, Kramer's off tonight, but we have a very special hour ahead for you. It's the Reddit Rebellion. Main Street versus Wall Street. David versus Goliath. Age-old conflict reignites in a thoroughly modern arena. Armed with lightning-fast communication and trading platforms, a battalion of independent investors take on towering hedge funds. I've never seen it before. And what Wall Street bets, which is really driving this, what they've done, that's a site on Reddit. What they've done is target large short positions. Now, they have not targeted small short positions. GameStop is 148% short. But the old guard has deep pockets and deeper reinforcements. The lack of integrity in the system is the precursor that caused GameStop to be sold short 136% and for people to try to pile on and destroy a company in front of our eyes. That to me feels wrong. That feels pretty un-American if you ask me. Who will come out on top? An investor does not own GameStop. A speculator owns GameStop. Let's not confuse speculating with investors. GameStop business was going down the toilet. Their revenues were declining, their EBITDA was negative, they have no earnings, and they had an enormous market cap. This is speculators playing around. Here now is Melissa Lee. Great to have you with us tonight. Let's get right to it. Joining us for the hour, CNBC contributors Dan Nathan and Courtney Gibson. And we have a very big interview coming your way. The CEO of Robinhood will join us in just moments. Meantime, as we come on air tonight, check out shares of GameStop. They are rallying in the after hours on news that Robinhood will allow limited buys at tomorrow's open on that stock and others. This comes after Robinhood and other retail brokerages restricted trading on these high-flying names during today's regular session. Our next guest is calling those new restrictions on trading un-American. Joining us now is Morgan Creek Digital Assets founder Anthony Pompliano. Anthony, great to have you with us tonight. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. What's so un-American about this? Yeah, look, obviously that this has been building for a while, right? And I think that there's a bunch of investors uh, who believe that they've been punished as savers uh, through the devaluation of the dollar. They've gone to uh, the stock market. And today they are equipped with information, communication tools, and access to markets. And the friction to those three things has been driven nearly to zero. And all of a sudden they start to find Uh, exploitations in the market. They find mistakes that large hedge funds have made. Uh, And the second that they start to exploit those weaknesses or those mistakes, the markets get shut or the stocks, they can't trade them anymore. And so what we're seeing is people who are saying, wait a second, if you're going to risk capital and you're wrong, you should lose. Because if I risk capital and I lose, and I'm wrong, then I'll lose. And so all we're watching is we're just watching the acceleration where these people are going to pick up the ball and they're going to go play elsewhere. And they're going to move to the digital decentralized financial system that is a free market that operates as a meritocracy where the best idea wins. Right. If you're right, you profit. If you're wrong, you lose. There's no bailouts. There's no circuit breakers. There's no hours of operations. There's no one to call to halt the trading of a stock. If you're right, you profit. And if you're wrong, you lose. 
But that's no longer happening in American financial markets. We now have manipulated markets where the free market does not reign, and therefore we're going to accelerate the digital decentralized financial system that's being built. There is an undercurrent um, in this chat board. I'm not sure if you have gone on Wall Street Bets yourself, Anthony, um, but there are certainly a number of people who are on this forum who say they were burned by the financial crisis. And we have one open letter to CNBC, and there are numerous, numerous letters to CNBC saying it's not just Wall Street bets, but every person affected by the 08 crash that's now paying attention to GameStop are going to remember how you stuck up for firms that ruined so many of us and tried to tear down the little guys. And, of course, remember also back to the crisis, it was the big Wall Street firms that got bailed out and not so much the small investors. There is that undercurrent there. And, and I think not surprisingly, Anthony, you know, the Bitcoin community has really sort of rallied along with the Wall Street Bets community. Why do you think there is that undercurrent there? Yeah, look, technology is the great equalizer. And so for the last decade, basically the people in 0809, whether it was Occupy Wall Street and Zuccotti Park or just Americans, frankly, around uh, the country, they felt helpless. They felt like they couldn't do anything. But now with technology, um, that great equalizer, we've seen a reduction in the friction for information. You don't need a Bloomberg terminal to play in the public markets anymore. You can literally just have an internet connection. Communication tools. You don't have to go to the idea dinners. You can go on Reddit. You can go in a Telegram chat. You can go on Twitter. And then access to markets. I no longer need a traditional brokerage account. I can simply go on a Robinhood or some other um, you know, peer or competitors of theirs. And so when the friction comes down for information, communication, and access, what you see is a level playing field. And so just like people will defend short sellers, and they will say short sellers are part of a healthy market, they will make the claim that we need short sellers in order to have that efficient market, to be a check on the bulls and on the longs. Well, we need retail investors to be a check on Wall Street. And if we go back in history, retail was right about Bitcoin, retail was right about Tesla, Retail was right about GameStop. And so maybe we should start to think that retail isn't as stupid as everyone on Wall Street thinks they are. They've actually been more right than people give them credit for. And so I think whether it's Wall Street bets, it's people on Twitter, or it's just a random person that has an internet connection and wants to trade stocks, open up the markets, allow the free market to reign. And if the hedge funds are scared of competing Mm -hmm. against retail in the free market, that tells you everything you need to know. Just open the markets and let them compete. Right. And and it is the retail investor who found a way in the system to engineer the short squeeze that brought a major hedge fund to its knees. I just want to make that point, uh, Anthony, before Dan asks his question. Dan. So, hey, Anthony, you know, we, we saw this frenzy retail interest um, in crypto, obviously Bitcoin. This was in 2017. Coinbase was that on ramp. You know, obviously you talk about crypto as this amazing, um, you know, decentralized opportunity for the everyday investor to kind of get a piece of what the future should look like, or at least the financial future. But at the time, you know, Coinbase had its share of problems, right? Operationally, that's a very centralized network in a way. So now fast forward to this and see what we're going on, you know, with Robinhood in a way, um, you know, I agree with you. I think the people should be allowed to trade, but there's also just there's bandwidth issues, right? And, and there's regulatory issues. And they seem very similar to me. I'm just curious if you can draw any comparisons to what we saw a few years ago in that retail craze and what we're seeing now in the stock market. Yeah, look, I think what was happening in 2017 was absolutely bandwidth issues, right? The the actual technology products couldn't handle the surges in new signups and in trading um, kind of volume. What we saw today was not that. 
What we saw today was a specific move by a platform to stop allowing trading. That would have been like Coinbase saying, hey, you can come on our platform, but you can't trade Bitcoin. You can trade everything else. Right? They didn't shut down the platform. They shut down specific assets. And so, again, I just go back to what we are seeing is an entire generation of young people that have an Internet connection. And they are saying the system is rigged against me. The system does not want me to win. And so what they are going to do is they are going to pick up and they are going to move to a digital decentralized platform. And in that new financial system, there are no circuit breakers. There are no hours of operations. It's a 24-7, 365 days a year free market that you can't call anyone and halt trading. You can't sit and say, oh, wait a second, we fear that rich people aren't going to be as rich tomorrow. And so therefore, we should address the problem. It's a free market, and that's what true capitalism is. And what we're watching in the American financial system markets is not capitalism. And there's a big, big portion of the population that wants a capitalistic free market, and they're going to go find it, and they're going to find it in the digital decentralized world. Anthony, great to get your perspective. Really appreciate it. Anthony Pompliano, Morgan Creek. Uh, Courtney, it doesn't seem like this is an isolated instance of discontent with the establishment. It seems like we've been seeing this for years now, years in the making. I mean, Anthony had mentioned Occupy Wall Street, but even just within the past year, we've seen it with, uh, or, or a couple of years, we've seen it with MAGA and what fueled that. We've seen it with Black Lives Matter. We've seen pockets of this society that feel completely disconnected, underrepresented, and not heard. And Wall Street Bet sort of reminds me of, of those sorts of movements. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for having me. It's always good to be with you. Um, you know, I like the narrative, and this may be the unpopular commentary for the evening, but um, I think maybe this started that way, and maybe there were some people that really felt like, you know, I'm going to stick it to the man, I'm going to, you know, go after hedge funds. Um, but I also wonder, and I do have some friends that are in that chat, um, I wonder, did someone just come up with a really, really good trade idea, right? Like, did someone actually see the marketplace not acting in the efficient way that it should be and make a call on it? And because of the world that we live in, because we live in a highly digitized society, because information flows so freely, and yes, like the past guest mentioned, you can go on Robinhood, Cash App, you can trade from whatever venue that you want and put a trade on. And you tell your friends to put a trade on. And here you have this ripple effect. But what happened, however, did not stop with retail. And I want to be really clear with this. And I'm not going to go into conspiracy theories and everything else. But what I can tell you unequivocally is that 100 million shares of stock trading and GameStop in one day was not Melissa. It wasn't Courtney. It wasn't John. It wasn't Damien. These were institutions as well. Oh, sure. And whether it was momentum trading, quantitative trading that kind of went into play, which again, is not a bad thing, right? These are strategies that are being employed. People were making money and losing money just as they do in the markets. I think this was just a little bit different because no one was expecting it. So, you know, I think there is a bit of that sentiment coming out now as it relates to the, um, 
how should we put this, the, the discontent with what occurred, which I do think is wrong. Now, mm -hmm. in the fine print, all these trading platforms say we can cut you off whenever we feel like it. That's the way of the world. Like it or leave it. But that's the way of the world. I do believe that it was wrong. Um, you can't decide one day I want to protect you and one day I don't, because that ultimately causes a lack of trust within our markets. And we can't have that. We just can't have it. Well, here's the thing, and I agree with everything Courtney just said, but I would also add, you know, on the institutional side, I mean, if institutional investors got together and colluded the way that a bunch of anonymous bots did on the deep web, whatever this Wall Street bets, um, Reddit stuff, and I know that, you know, you guys think they sound like a Luddite or this or that or whatever. I've been around long enough. I remember AOL chat rooms and Yahoo chat rooms and all the um, kind of malfeasance mm -hmm. that went on around that, okay? Um, this you is, remember you people know, pretending this sort of they action, were going to be? Okay, my point is, I, I couldn't hear what, what you're saying. The, the point is, is like bear raids and short squeezes are as old as the hills, okay? Sure. And hedge funds have been regulated. Mm -hmm. Banks have been regulated, okay? If, if institutional investors acted the way that the Wall Street bets community acted, they'd be shut down. They'd probably be put in jail or something like that. So my point, and we've been talking about this, Mel, all week long, that there's no doubt about it. There's probably some really smart people on Wall Street Bets on Reddit who got on the Robinhood trade and said, this is a good trade. You know, this stock, the short interest is 100% of the float. And if I buy a few hundred shares here, it may go up a few bucks if I start talking about it on the internet. No one expected to happen what had happened. Institutions got in in a big, big way, and they started obviously pumping it up. But there's a lot of different players now. There's algos, there's high-frequency traders, there's opportunistic hedge funds. Sure. So as many hedge funds as this took yeah. out, there's going to be plenty that make a lot of money. And, and as I've been saying all week, Absolutely. the big winners are going to be the banks, the brokers and the lawyers. OK. Um, and the exchanges. And, because and when you talk about trading volume, so right. oh, sorry, Melissa, I was going to say, you know, you guys on Fast Money talk about where to put your money. If you didn't want to buy GameStop or AMC or play in the game, think about the exchanges and the volumes that are traded on those exchanges. That's where they're going to make money. Right. So there's a good stock pick for you in the hour, too. Okay. We're just getting started here on this special hour programming. Up next, we'll hear from one top Wall Street strategist who says there is a regime change underway, how he sees this movement impacting your money, and later the growing calls for regulation, lawmakers demanding answers from Robinhood over today's trading freezes. We are all over that unfolding story when this special report continues. That's all leading up, of course, to a can't-miss interview. The CEO of Robinhood will join us to talk about the latest from the Reddit revolt. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the special report. The Reddit rebellion stock soaring on Wall Street today with the Dow gaining 300 points. The rally coming as high-flying names like GameStop, AMC, Cost, and Express tanked. Tom Lee is a head of research at Fundstrat and a CNBC contributor. Tom, good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you. We chatted about the impact uh, of this movement earlier this week, and then we saw a sell-off, Tom. And, and so I'm wondering how you think about whether or not this movement, this dynamic in Wall Street, uh, is causing any sort of ripple effects in the markets? Um, well, you know, one thing to keep in mind for the viewers is this total U.S. stock market is about $33 trillion in market cap. And the sum of the market cap of, you know, if you took even the 10 names that had gone, have gone parabolic um, and they were named in um, those threads, it's about $50 billion, which means it's like, 
0.01% of the total stock market. I guess what I'm saying is um, it, it's, there's a lot of activity and, and it's actually had a lot of impacts across Wall Street. But in terms of aggregate effect on the market's valuation, it's, it's tiny. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Isn't there, though, I mean, do you eliminate a few zeros, though, because of the power of options? And if you have an options position, mm-hmm. um, that value is not $50 billion, It's a multiple of that. And it's, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, that particular stock. It is also the other stocks in combination. Sure. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying because there, there were a lot of corollary effects. You know, people had... Uh, uh, correlations in their books go kind of wonky, and when some of these hedge funds had to shrink their long books, it was affecting a lot of traditional managers. So there were clearly a lot of effects. But you know, to me, I, I think that the bigger story to me is still that this is a regime change. You know, I I, I think that there is over the next ten years going to be a tremendous amount of new money coming into the stock market, and that let's say you know we think it's almost six trillion dollars. It's not going to be handed to an institutional investor or to a hedge fund or to a mutual fund manager. I think a lot of it will be self-directed and self-managed money. And so I think that what we're witnessing now is uh, not going to go away, but I think it overall will contribute to a, a higher P.E. for the market because equity risk premium will fall. So more and more individuals will be in the market. So they are going to be, even if you discount the impact they're having now, if you calculate the market caps and factor in the power of options, et cetera, in the longer term, they're going to be a much bigger impact on the markets. Do you think that changes the way uh, you know, institutions invest their money? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think it's going to be a, a bitter pill to swallow. But for the last 10 years, uh, and you know, most of uh, the average tenure of a fund manager is 8.7 years. So the average person managing a professional portfolio started after 2009. They've operated in a world of declining rates, zero net capital inflows into the stock market, essentially zero presence of the individual investor and the growing presence of algorithmic and systematic trading. So I think that the rules are now changing for those same people because the next 10 years, you know, machines are much bigger now, mm-hmm. but if there's retail inflows, they might be counter cyclical to what an institution does. I mean, I think in overall, it's actually quite healthy. Um, that's why large investment banks that have both retail and institutional tend to have a lot of ballast because they can actually help with order flow. So I think it's a pretty healthy dynamic, but it's, it's a brand new, it's really a brand new environment. Yeah. Tom, it's so great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Tom Lee Thanks. of Fundstrat. Courtney, what do you make of that? It's a bitter pill. I mean, Wall Street has operated in a certain way for, I don't know, forever. <laughs> and here we are. If Tom is right and this heralds some sort of a change where retail or individual investors have more power in the market, that could change things. Look, Melissa, it's, it's time for change, right? Like, let's be honest here. There's some good change and some bad change, but... I think Tom is a thousand percent right with his assessment. And honestly, it might make it fun again, right? I mean, let's think about this. If you now have to readjust your risk models, you have to think about additional inflows. I mean, look, 
institutions aren't struggling. Close to $40 billion over the last seven days went into institutional funds. They're not going to struggle. But ultimately now you have people that are going to be participating in this marketplace. Let's look at the positive side of that. You have additional liquidity. You have additional ways to uncover potential gains on names. You have people that might take the other side of your trades, right? Whether you like Tesla or don't like Tesla, there's got to be somebody to buy it if you want to sell it and vice versa. And so I think this is healthy and it is going to be a reset and it's it's time for that reset. Dan? Well, maybe it's time for that. Uh, you know, Courtney just mentioned that um, it may get fun again. Well, I remember the last couple of times the stock market was really fun in the late 90s and it crashed 50 percent. And many oh. of the names that were having the most fun, Courtney, can, it's really hard to do this like this. OK, so so the, the stocks that had the most fun lost maybe 70, 80, 90 percent of their value. There was nothing really fundamental to those stories at the time. And the market participants were really excited about it. Okay, the next time investors had a lot of fun was flipping houses. And then the banks got involved in creating a lot of really interesting leverage products. Well, that didn't go too well for the stock market either. And a lot of investors got taken to the cleaner and their financial uh, futures were ruined. Okay. So here we are in the last year, we had a mini crash. Let's call it 35% from the February 2020 highs. It lasted about a month and a half or so. Um, The Fed started printing money. The Fed took interest rates to zero. They said they're never going to let them go higher. They moved the goalposts on inflation. They're going to let that run hot here. They put money in people's pockets who couldn't go to work. And then all of a sudden, they started legal gambling on their iPhones, okay? And stocks only go up. This is the only thing that they know right now. So I have a feeling that the fun's about to end. You know, it, it is a fun game playing musical chairs when you're a few years old and you don't know what the heck's going on. But when, when, it's, when the music stops and you lose your chair, it's really debilitating and it can be debilitating for a while. So to me, I don't think there's anything really fun that's going on right now in the market. It's not us versus them. It's not the establishment versus the guys trying to stick it to the man. This is real stuff. It's people's money. And, you know, we talk about these things. Pension funds are invested on. We have this massive unfunded pension problem here. And that's one of the reasons why so much money has moved out the curve, the risk curve and such. So I I just don't think it's funny to play with financial futures like this. I completely get what you're saying. And I I understand it. But at the same time, do you believe uh, that that the market should just be open to all of these traders to allow them to make their own decisions? Of course. Okay. 100 percent. I do not disagree. Everybody, every citizen should be allowed to do what the heck they want with their money. They should download whatever app they want to do. But I just don't think it's particularly fair. I, I, I think that a lot of the behavior of late is, is just it's not well intended. And, and, and it's really about sticking to the man. I've spent some time on these Reddit threads. They're like, we don't care if we lose all our money. We want to take them down. I mean, that is a sort of financial nihilism. It's not particularly good for a capitalistic system, in my opinion. And some people will come back and say, well, isn't that what hedge funds do? They do bear raids and they do all this sort of stuff. And they, yeah, maybe they do, okay? But again, when they act out of line, out of regulation, they get they get, you know, their, their hand slapped. So to me, I think that there's massive regulatory action. I don't think these people know what's coming well, for them in the next few months or next few quarters. We are still in the early stages of this story, that's for sure. Uh, still ahead here, a congressional crackdown, growing calls from lawmakers to level the playing field. Coming up, we'll hear from one congressman who says it's hedge funds, not individuals, that need to stop treating the market like their personal playground. And we're getting closer to the Canvas interview with the CEO of Robinhood. That is coming up when this special report returns.
We have got a very big interview coming up with the Robinhood CEO. You will not want to miss that. That is later this hour. Lawmakers are demanding answers uh, this hour to trading halts today on some of these high-flying names, including your next guest. He put out a letter today uh, reading, we're done letting hedge fund billionaires treat the stock market like their personal playground, then taking their ball home as soon as they lose. Joining us now is Democratic Representative Ro Khanna of California. Congressman, welcome to the show. Great to speak with you. Thank you for having me. There are going to be hearings, uh, and I'm wondering what you hope to accomplish. Well, this just exposes the deep flaw in our financial system. What you have is hedge funds. They take out these short bets. Then they go on television and they tell everyone, sell. It's total manipulation. It's not encouraging productive investment. We need to have better regulation and better enforcement on these short sellers. And Gary Gensler, I think, will do that at the SEC. Is it just short sellers? Is there something about short selling that attracts this kind of scrutiny? Because people on the long side of trades do that same thing. And let's be clear, when you say manipulate, that is not the definition of market manipulation as put forth in securities law. Well, I'm not saying it's insider trading, although mm-hmm. I need to look at uh, the, uh, exactly what happened. I do think most Americans will think if you're shorting a stock and you have something to gain, and then you're going on television and encouraging people to, buy, to sell uh, that stock, uh, that that's not helpful and that the people are making a fortune on this. Some of the laws have to be enforced, and we need better regulation over this kind of predatory uh, speculation. And then when you have, finally, sort of investors at Reddit uh, try to take uh, their own action because our system doesn't allow it, you have Robin Hood stop the trading. I mean, I, I don't understand under what authority they are violating the terms of their uh, service. Then they're, they're claiming they have capital requirements. What capital requirements? They aren't invested personally. So what is your message to, to the Wall Street Bets community, Congressman? I mean, what, ultimately, do you say, you know, keep going, press them? Bring Wall Street to, to their knees because this no, is how we show the inequality of the system. No, they're 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 uh, Americans that have the freedom to do whatever they want. My job isn't to tell them how to invest. My job is to make sure that they have the same rights as every other American. And I don't understand how you can have a service like Robinhood, which under the terms of service tells people that they can trade, and then just stop that those terms. And by the way, Robinhood, you can ask the CEO when he comes on, makes part of their money by selling this data to the hedge funds. So there's something there uh, that they have to gain by listening to the hedge funds. Now, I don't know what their rationale is. I do know they put out this statement saying they have capital requirements and SEC requirements, but I don't understand what requirements. They're not personally investing in GameStop. It's the investors. They're just a neutral platform. So how can they just stop suddenly the trades with no notification? Yeah. Um, I know this, it's hard to, to sort of, you know, plot this out, Congressman. But, you know, in, in your view, do you think that there will be more regulations be, being placed on, on the likes of a Robin Hood in the next year or two? Yes, there are going to be three consequences of this. There are going to be more regulations on hedge funds. And finally, I think people are going to say the carried interest loophole needs to go. The financial system isn't working. People are angry out there at what's going on. Second, there are going to be regulations on Robinhood, that you have to be a fair platform. But the biggest thing, and this is important to, to I think, know, 48% of Americans are not in the stock market. There are many people who want jobs, good jobs, and this investment isn't helping create our productive capacity. It's not building manufacturing. It's not building investment. We need an economy that's going to build things, make things, not just speculative bubbles that is not helping 50% of Americans.
Congressman, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Representative Ro Khanna. Uh, Courtney, what do you make of this? I mean, we, it sounds like they're intent on trying to change the system. They are. And regardless of kind of why that's come about, you know, everything happens kind of in arrears, right? It would have been great for someone to kind of dug in the fine print sooner. But if this has brought to the forefront the need for, I won't call it additional regulation because that scares the market, but different regulations in order to keep our markets safe for all participants, I think everyone would be open to that. And I want us to really be clear from a statistical perspective, right? Like, let's not sit and pretend by allowing retail investors to participate that they're suddenly going to overthrow the market, right? We cover institutional investors at my firm, and 80% of the assets, right, 80% are held by institutions. Okay, so there is not going to be some overthrowing of the system and and everything's going to go to, you know what, in a handbasket. Let's be honest about what this means. If you can have people participate in the markets, however that may be, whether it's day trading, whether they decide to be long term investors, buy and hold or whether they're traders, which we appreciate on this network and in this marketplace. They have the ability to participate on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. And I think, or at least I hope, that's what our legislative um, individuals and representatives will work to achieve on behalf of of this country. So they may not get anywhere with it, but ultimately uh, it does sound like folks are willing to kind of work across the aisle to think of a better way to um, provide regulations in our markets. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, I mean, the congressman mentioned, you know, being productive, investment, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, I think Leon Cooperman said it very well on Scott Wapner's show at noon today is that GameStop was not a productive company. You know, their earnings and sales were declining. It was a bricks and mortar um, business that really didn't need to exist anymore. And, and the capitalist free market system was actually working. So the situation that we have right now, make no mistake about it, Mel, you know, GameStop trade 500 today and it closed today at what, 193. Who do you think got hurt here today in this game? And I just don't appreciate having all these billionaire influencers, you know, come on air, go on Twitter and, 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 and kind of egging these guys on and thinking that they have their backs. They're not going to be buying this stock the whole way down from them when they're searching for a bid as it's crashing 10% at a clip. And so I just think there's a lot of goofiness going on right here. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to be the little guy who gets screwed in the end. It's just that simple. It happens that way every single time. I don't know why it's going to be different this time. And this is a little bubble. It's a little little part of the market here. But it seems to be like moth to a flame for these retail investors, these Robinhood people, these Reddit people who want to play here. It's not going to work out well for them. They might have taken out some fancy billionaire hedge fund guys. But let me tell you something. They're lining up to get in their places one way or another. And you can't regulate that as far as a free market concern. But you can regulate collusion. You can inc- encourage these companies um, that are very well funded to educate their users and understand what they're doing. All right. Coming up, we're getting closer to the big interview that you do not want to miss. The CEO of Robinhood will join us in moments. Stay with us. Welcome back to the special report. The Reddit Rebellion this week has been a testament to the Internet's influence over the market. Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO of VaynerMedia, joins us now. Uh, Gary, you're an early investor in what some may have seen as fads, the cryptocurrency trading platform Coinbase, ride-sharing giant Uber. 
Um, so what's your take on, on what's going on in, in the staying power of what is going on? It's capitalism. It's business. You know, people love free markets um, and, and limited regulation until it affects them. And so I think the Internet is going to pick on you. It's just the way it is. First, it was bookstores in the late 90s. People that had medallions locked up in New York City thought they were fine. They got addressed. You know, the internet is the infrastructure of society and humans that are on top of it and platforms that get people together to communicate. This is just the reality of the situation. And so the staying power, this is just the beginning. I mean, everyone's talking about regulating Robin Hood or regulating this. Unless we're looking at going the track of China or Russia and actually regulating our entire internet, you can't stop humans communicating to each other. So this is really just an extension of how technology has um, empowered people in other ways. They may have empowered people to, um, you know, transport in different ways, to communicate in different ways, and here to trade in different ways. Is that your take? A hundred percent. Like, you know, everyone's baffled all the time. They're baffled that a president can go direct to consumer and not do briefings. They're baffled that, you know, that taxis have been disrupted. Like, everyone's always baffled. When is everybody who's watching this show going to understand that this thing called the internet came along and changed society? This is printing press 100X. We are in the early stages and people are struggling with calibrating the massive impact of this. Hey, hey, Gary, um, quick hey. question. I mean, so, yeah. you know, you, you mentioned, you know, obviously Amazon disrupted bricks and mortar retail and we can, you know, there's there's a hundred examples over the last 25 years. What exactly would you say that Robinhood has disrupted um, other than the pricing of trading services? Because to me, I think what it's done is made a very easy on-ramp. It's been a product created by the very people that created the most addictive products that we have on our iPhones, right? Facebook, Google, um, you know, electronic arts, that sort of thing. Um, so what are they disrupting? What are they making better for the people, I guess, is the, is the question friction. I would have for the Silicon Valley backers. La- lack of friction for, you know, very easy to understand how to get on. They like the price. I mean, this has been done over and over. It's what Walmart did to retail or Amazon. Like, it's just the cost was right and the friction was low and the product was simple. It's, they disrupted the right brand, right time. Um, you've got an entire generation of under 30-year-olds that are completely passionate around entrepreneurship and business. You know, I'm 45. I was a terrible student. I went to Mount Ida College, you know, 301, the spot. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I, entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. Now every kid 15 to 25 wants to be an entrepreneur, an investor, right? People are, like, they have pride in their ability. It's opening up people into the game and they want to do their thing. And, you know, it's just a timing product issue. Gary, thank you for your time. Good to see you. Thank you. Gary Vaynerchuk, VaynerMedia. Uh, Courtney, if, if that is the case, it sounds like this is something that, that's not going to go away easily because just as we saw the Internet change different industries in ways in which you can't go back, it, it doesn't sound like this. You, you, you can't put the horse back in the barn at this point, can you? Absolutely not. I think, you know, I do agree with with some of the folks when they're talking about financial literacy and education around things. I mean, it's educational in traditional way. So one might, you know, say that that might not be what we need to teach. But I do believe that 
access to the markets and a leveling of the playing field is the right thing to do. Right. I mean, and I and I, I, I said this before, you know, no one ever says to someone who spent their entire paycheck at, you know, Macy's that, oh, you know what? We shouldn't have let them do that. I should keep their paycheck and spend it for them. Right. And, I'm, and I, I don't mean to kind of minimize this, but I think it's, it's, it's real. Right. People can spend their money in a lot of different ways. Why it is that this way is ruffling so many feathers. You know, I'm not quite sure. What I can say is that education, being a part of understanding how money moves and being a part of the financial system is something every American has the right to do and Mm -hmm. should have the right to do. All right. We're just seconds away from the can't miss interview. The Robin CEO will join us on the other side of this quick break. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to the CNBC Special Report. Let's, uh, we are awaiting the Robin Hood CEO. This is the must-see interview of the evening. There are a lot of angry people out there um, with the trading restrictions on a number of those highly shorted stocks that saw uh, just roller coaster rides in the past few days. Uh, let's go straight to CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin, who has a Robin Hood CEO right now. Uh, Andrew. Melissa, thank you so very, very much. I want to... Uh Bring in uh, the CEO of Robinhood, uh, Vlad Atenev, is with us uh, right now, and we appreciate you joining us on a day where there are so many questions. And uh, as Melissa just said, there are, frankly, as you know, a lot of angry customers out there and a lot of questions about what took place and the decisions that you made uh, to limit uh, so many of your customers' ability to buy uh, stocks like uh, GameStop questions about whether you have a liquidity problem, whether you're trying to protect them from themselves, uh, whether Citadel uh, did this. Explain what happened today. Thank you for having me on the show again, uh, Andrew. Um, So what happened today was, as you pointed out, we had to make a very difficult decision. It's been uh, it's been a challenging day. We made the decision uh, in the morning to limit the buying of about 13 securities on our platform. So to be clear, uh, customers could still sell uh, those securities if they had positions in them. And they could also trade in the thousands of other securities on our platform. So uh, it was a difficult decision. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what we had to do as part of normal operations. But explain then, why did you do this? Did did the SEC call you and tell you you had to do this? Was there a problem inside the company in terms of liquidity, in terms of the amount of deposits that you had uh, to to put it in front to the exchanges? What led to this? Sure. And let me let me explain exactly how this works. Um, Oh, first of all, I want to address some of the misinformation that's been out there because there's a lot of it. Um, We absolutely did not do this at the direction of any market maker or hedge fund uh, or anyone we route to or other market participants. Uh, the reason we did it was because uh, Robinhood is a brokerage firm. Uh, we have lots of financial requirements, including SEC net capital requirements and clearinghouse deposits. So that's money that we have to deposit at various clearinghouses. So some of these requirements uh, fluctuate quite a bit based on volatility in the markets. And they can be substantial in the current environment where there's a lot of volatility and a lot of concentrated activity in, uh, 
in these names that have been going viral on social media. So we're really in unprecedented times. And in order to protect the firm and protect our customers, um, we had to limit buying in these in these stocks. And to be absolutely clear, sa- again, it sounds this wasn't. To- Go ahead. But it it sounds to me, though, that you're suggesting that there was a liquidity problem uh, inside the firm. And, and my question about that then raises all sorts of new questions about whether there's a systemic issue uh, underneath the system and underneath the company unto itself. No, no, there, there was no li- liquidity problem. And to be clear, this was done preemptively. So we did this proactively uh, and thousands of other securities remain tradable on the platform. Customers that held these positions um, were able to sell them. And we're doing what we can to allow uh, buying and to remove these restrictions in the morning. Um, but also, uh, you might have seen Robinhood has been the number one app in the in the app store overall. So we have seen unprecedented uh, interest due to the fact that Finance has been culturally relevant in a way that hasn't been before. And these stocks are going viral on social media. And I think it's really interesting to juxtapose against some of the other questions that we've been having uh, before this. Of course, Robinhood stands for, for everyday investors. From the very beginning, we have stood for investors opening up access and giving them the ability to trade commission free in whatever they want. Um, and we've gotten a lot of criticism that, you know, maybe uh, there should be more restrictions. So it pains us to have had to impose these restrictions. And we're going to do what we can to uh, enable trading in but these what do stocks you te- as soon as we can. But what do you tell the what do you tell the Robinhood investor who says, look at the screen? I'm losing money. You are not allowing me to buy this. And by the way, I'm going to have to sell it for less money because of what you did. Well, to, to be clear, um, we're not allowing people to buy it, but they can sell uh, positions that they have. Um, and, you know, I feel a little bit, <laughs> I know how Clorox and Lysol felt in the pandemic when they were running out of uh, hand sanitizer and, um, and supplies. We, we just haven't seen this level of concentrated interest market-wide in a small number of names before. So, uh, we're doing. We understand our customers are upset. We're doing what we can to re-enable buying in these names, and we stand with our customers. We stand for uh, the everyday investor, and we do believe that you should be able to buy and sell the stocks that uh, that you want to, uh, subject to all requirements. And that's what we're gonna. What, what, that's what we're working day in and day out to make possible. What do you say to to the customer who says, "Look"? Maybe I shouldn't be on Robinhood anymore. If they're going to not, if they're going to shut me out right when I when I need to, to be on the service, maybe I should go to an alternative service. Look, we we realize customers are upset with this. Uh, it, it was not an easy decision. Um, ultimately, the team uh, made the correct decision here. So um, what we can do is move forward, focus on giving customers the most stable and reliable platform going forward. Um, and we've, we've invested a lot in that and we've actually seen some great progress and uh, taking all the steps we can to make sure customers can buy the securities that they want to buy without restrictions in the future. When you look at the trading in these stocks over the past several days, 
Do you think they're divorced from reality? Are you concerned that the investors that are involved in this are are doing these things for reasons that they fully understand and they fully understand the risks involved? Look, when I I'm I'm obviously um, a big believer in more education. I want to make sure that we give customers all the tools and educational resources that we could possibly give them. Um, This is is really about access. um, And access is something I've been super strong about from the very beginning in the face of a lot of criticism and questions about whether we should be granting people access in the first place. So, yes, I think people need to be informed. They need to be educated. Uh, We do want to give them the ability to do that. But I also believe that uh, access is a very powerful thing. The more individual investors have access to the markets, the better off we will be. And we're going to work tirelessly day in and day out to make sure customers have that access. It's in the name. It's everything we stand for. Vlad, can you uh, walk us? Let me us- bring Melissa in. Yeah, Andrew, thank you. Um, and, and Vlad, thanks for being on CNBC. Can you walk us through the moment in which you, you realized that you needed to do this in order to have the capital? I mean, you drew on credit lines. We've confirmed that, and you can confirm that to us directly. Um, at what point did you say, you know, the options volume is just crazy, uh, the stock volume is crazy, and, and we need to do this? It sounds like something well, you should have been able to figure out prior to today? Well, this is it's it's interesting because I, I don't remember a time in the past where social media and the financial system have intersected in such a direct way. So things can go viral on social media and that can lead to virality in the financial markets. Like I mentioned before, Robin has been number one on the app store for the last several days and we've never been number one on the app store before. So I don't think uh, anyone could have anticipated that uh, that this would happen. Um, and in terms of the credit lines, you mentioned that that was really a proactive measure. As I mentioned earlier in the conversation, the deposit requirements uh, that we have at the various clearinghouses govern how much we can allow customers to buy some of these stocks. So obviously, in line with our mission and what we want to do, we want to put ourselves in a position to allow our customers to be as unrestricted as possible in accordance with the requirements and the regulations. So we pulled those credit lines so that we could um, we could maximize within reason uh, the the funds we have to uh, deposit at the clearing houses. Uh, final question, and we only really have uh, thirty seconds at this point, um, and we will continue this conversation on Squawk Box tomorrow, but. The question I would ask you is, you said you're going to start allowing buying tomorrow. What happens if it triggers whatever system triggered today where you had to stop it? Are you anticipating that? Are you doing anything ahead of that prospect? We're doing a lot of things. You know, we we want to obviously allow buying safely uh, for the firm and for the customers. And the teams have been working very, very hard. Um, They were already working very hard dealing with the unprecedented uh, Um, you know, volumes and uh, the equity volumes and the unique situation we've been in. So we want to do that safely. We want to be clear in the communications. And I I own that, you know, we should have been out there a little bit sooner. Uh, The team's been working very hard. Um, 
and uh, people okay. uh, people are doing what they can for our customers. And I'm very proud of the, the work that the team is doing and has done. Vlad, we appreciate uh, you joining us. Uh, we will continue this conversation uh, and uh, we will air more of it tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. But again, we thank you. Um, I'm I appreciate back to you having me. Thank you again. Of course. It's great to hear from Vlad. Andrew, thank you so much for bringing us that interview. Thank you, Courtney Gibson, Dan Nathan, for joining us tonight for this special edition of Fast Money, the Reddit Rebellion. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now.